0: Good afternoon and welcome to our latest in the Classical Conversations series of podcasts presented by the Seattle Chamber Music Society in collaboration with listener-supported Classical King FM at 98.1. I'm Dave Beck from King FM, your host for this series of conversations which we record here in Soundbridge. This is just a few steps away from the Nordstrom Recital Hall in Benaroya Hall where we are in week two of the 2015 Summer Festival Concerts presented by the Society. The festival continues through August 1st. Today we're recording on Monday, July 13th, 2015, and my guest is playing and rehearsing all this week in works by Tchaikovsky, Brahms, and Schubert. All of these Society concerts broadcast live by my colleagues on Classical King FM. I'm pleased to welcome an especially versatile artist to share music and conversation with us this afternoon, Yura Lee is both an extraordinary violinist and violist. She'll divide her time between both instruments in Seattle this week. During our time together today, we'll find out how Yura came to excel in both instruments, about her work as a violin professor in Dresden, Germany, and about her self-described foodie status. We'll tell you more about that. She's made an award-winning recording of rarely heard violin music, including a concerto by Chevalier de Saint-Georges, Reinhard Goebel and the Bavarian Chamber Philharmonic will sample that recording and some Brahms and Schumann chamber repertory that she's performed at various festivals. Let's give a nice welcome today to Yura leap. Welcome to Seattle.
1: Thank you. Is this
0: your first time in the city?
1: It's not. I played in Seattle once before, but it's my first time with the Chamber Music Society. That's
0: very exciting. It is. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, what what uh, is, is this a festival that's been on your radar for a long time, maybe something you've hoped to have a chance to come up and do some play?
1: Yes. I mean, my my love is chamber music in, in my life, and, and I love the musicians here and the way um, the concerts are programmed and the people that come and the city, this area, I love Pacific Northwest, so everything is um, something that I just really wanted to do for a long time, yeah.
0: <laughs> Very good. You get to play with some extraordinary musicians this yes. week. Mm-hmm. Jeremy Dank, the, yes, the pianist, you'll, you'll play with Richard O'Neill, another excellent violist, um, our uh, principal horn in Seattle, Jeffrey Fair, and F.A. balta our principal uh, cellist, What's it like to go kind of from city to city and festival to festival, and, just, and sit down with a different group of extraordinary musicians? Uh, I, I mean, I, I just imagine every one of these experiences is 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 unique, and um, you know, Brahms Sextet in one city maybe is completely different from Brahms Sextet in another city. What what are your thoughts and feelings about that? Just ever changing cast of characters.
1: Well. Music is one of the very um, direct forms of communication between human beings. Not only between players and listener, but between the players in chamber music. So, um, a lot of times, I know the players already that that I'm playing with. But sometimes I don't. But you make friends very fast, and you get to know uh, you get to know who they are before you can even talk to them. Sometimes really through their playing, because the personality comes through. And there's um, you can't help it. Music is who you are and how you play is most likely how you are. Mm-hmm. So you get to get to know them in a very um, um, insightful level. Um, and uh, it's it's interesting for me because um, they're every musician has a very distinctive personality, unique personality. We are all unique to begin with, but then Uh, years of playing music on your own um, creates a, a sense of uniqueness about each person. However, then you come together to play a piece of music together and you must of course have one um, goal or purpose in mind but it's that purpose and goal is formed by six or four or three individuals who have very unique personalities so I think it's that that mixture is a a very interesting thing to experience not only as a listener but as a person who's going through the process of working on a piece
0: I don't have to you have to reveal any secrets or anything (laughs) uncomfortable but does when when you hear somebody play Does the personality always match the playing?
1: You know, when it doesn't, it's very confusing. (laughs) And you wonder which is the truth. (laughs) And maybe both are truth. You know, we don't always have one personality. Sometimes we are in great mood, sometimes not. And We all go, musicians go through, well, I, I can only speak for myself, but I... I'm quite sure that many will agree with me that we live in a sea of wonderful and sometimes um, not so wonderful emotions. Emotions are, are, are what drives composers to write, what drives us to express, and, and, and hopefully it comes across to audiences as well. And, and, and that emotion that, of course emotions fluctuate,
2: right.
1: and um, when you meet a person, let's say at a 2 p.m. on a certain day, um, you yourself don't know how what you, your emotion at that time will be. So mm-hmm. each moment, everybody is a little different. And of course, um, each person has a wide range of emotions. So usually it is the same I, when I um, talk to a person after rehearsing or vice versa. But sometimes uh, some people have very, very wide range <laughs> of emotions. Let's just put it that way.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, and then something happens when you get into the, the sort of... Um, Cocoon of playing chamber music. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just—I was going to play with some friends this week, a, a Brahms clarinet trio that we have the pleasure of working on, and and the traffic was just horrific, and and, I, and they didn't even want to face me, <laughs> you know, when I walked into that room. <laughs> Were but you few, late? Uh, and, and I was okay. Oh, I, okay. <laughs> I, but but um, three times as long to get there as I as it needed to be. All right. But when when you get when you start playing the music and mm-hmm. you you know you play that opening cello solo in the Brahms clarinet tree. I, I, you know, it all falls away and you, you enter a different zone. It's that zone of collaboration and your musical personality and...
1: Yeah, the the beauty about music is that it's a moment, it's a moment. It's not past, it's not future, it's the present moment. Mm -hmm. And it's a, a emotional, moment of in a way clarity because you're in listeners are hopefully in the zone and players are also hopefully in the zone and nothing but that exists at the moment and in a way that's beautiful because we are surrounded by reality and that is also beautiful too but to escape that and to exist in that moment and enjoy something that is not describable always by words is a very beautiful thing to
0: experience Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah and to have the, the, the training and the experience to, to be able to, to come out of, of traffic or something in your life that's, mm-hmm. that's upsetting. And to, to be in that you know, zone yes, uh, is, yeah. is another part of the whole magic of it. I think.
1: Yes, it, it, you have to have foundation for you to be able to enjoy it. But then uh, all the work that you put in, the hours of practice, the, the, the classes, the schooling, it, it all comes to a good purpose. And that is that you are able to experience something that's so ultimate. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: We have a few excerpts of um, a wide range of of work you've done, again, both on the violin and viola. And I want to start with this recording uh, that you can tell me kind of how it came about. It's uh, Reinhard Goebel is Mm -hmm. the conductor. You're the soloist here with, uh, it translates to the Bavarian Chamber Philharmonic, Mm -hmm. I I believe, a recording that has won some prestigious awards. Congratulations! Tell me a little bit about how this came to, to be, and how you happened to collaborate with this, um, uh, you know, prominent name in in early music circles.
1: Um, Reinhard Goebel is a wonderful violinist himself, and he also conducts a lot. And um, we found this project that was very interesting because um, the, the the concerto, for example, the Chevalier de Saint George, he was, um, I believe, nicknamed the Black Mozart. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, and at the time in Paris, and, and that's why the CD is titled Mozart in Paris, and uh, there are a lot of music that we play as violinists quite often, such as Mozart concertos, Bach concertos, Brahms, um, um, but it's very fun to veer a little bit away from the standard repertoire as well because there is just so much music to be experienced, yeah. and um, I was very happy when it won the Diapason, um, the Dor Award in France, and uh, it's, it's, it, I think uh, the part of the reason why it um, got the attention was because it was also unusual. And mm-hmm. unusual music in a well-put-together um, 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 recording with people that are wonderful to work with, and I think uh, it was a very fun thing.
0: Yeah, uh, just a, a, a tiny bit more background, because yeah. the Saint-Georges character is so mm-hmm. interesting. Uh, probably the first Afro-European classical composer of note, lived from 1745 to 1799, so as you say, a contemporary of Mozart. Mm-hmm the son of a Caribbean plantation owner. His mother was a, a slave on that plantation. Mm-hmm. And Saint-Georges went on to have a great career, not only as a violinist mm-hmm. and perf- uh, conductor and composer. Uh, he was a fencing champion. Fencing, exactly. It's yes, not so interesting? Uh-huh. And a, quite a decorated military hero yeah. as well.
1: In a, in a way, fencing and violin go hand in hand, because it's, well, most likely a right hand or some, uh, a, a hand movement. Yeah. A, a bow-like hand movement, let's just put it that way. Precision, um, dexterity, uh, um, 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 concentration. I know, w- why not do both, I suppose? not. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's uh-huh.
0: a, it's, he's a fascinating character. Uh-huh. Um, well, let's listen to a little bit of yeah. your recording. This uh-huh. is his second violin concerto, as I understand. So here's our guest, Yura Lee, playing music of uh, uh, Saint-Georges. Early, our guest playing music of Chevalier du Saint Georges. What fascinated you about his sound or style or the character of, of his music as you discovered and began to work on this concerto?
1: Um, there are two ways to go, well, two general ways to go about music from a um, long time ago, let's put it that mm-hmm. way. Um, to completely <laughs> follow and respect the period practice of what we know as a period playing, um, perhaps less vibrato or more different usage of bow or and or combined with what's more known as a modern violin playing with um, the, the, the design of the instruments are different. You can press the bow more um, with the design of the modern bow or vibrate more or the steel strings instead of gut strings and so on and so on and so on. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, I think it was interesting for me to work with um, a violinist who plays a lot of baroque music and a conductor, a violinist who plays a lot of baroque music and try to combine my technique or my education and my my background with his insights. And um, I don't think music needs to be one single category always. It, you can. The, our goal is to make beauty and to do so, of mm-hmm. course you need the background and the knowledge, but at the end, we use our intuition and our intuition, my intuition is of now because I am working now, I'm not in 1700s. Mm-hmm. So as a player who's, um, a, a modern player who's working on this music, you—you, you, I think one needs to, of course, educate yourself and, and study the, um, the different kinds of violin playing, but ultimately you do what feels right mm-hmm. at the end, always.
0: Mm-hmm. There's a lot of collaboration going on now between people who've been in the, the early music movement like Gobel for you know 30 forty years or however long it's it's, it's been and and younger artists and I, I just don't, I think there's a great mutual appreciation that's what I sense when say a period player comes to work with the Seattle Symphony that this to, to get some of these ideas is, yeah. is, is what you know on both both directions yeah
1: it, it, we can learn from everything and even uh, period um, players in uh, I'm generalizing quite a bit America is quite different from period players in Europe and 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 the sense of uh, thinking is perhaps different due to education or due to the the, the people they're working with so it's uh, like I said everybody's unique in their own way and each um, each uh, Style of playing from different countries or different um, centers of these um, modern music or, or baroque music is quite different. So mm-hmm. it's 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 really fun to know everybody.
0: Does something come to mind that you took away from this section? Maybe a, a way that he approached a, a phrase or a, or a or a movement that that kind of speaks to that? You know what you got from working from him and his musicians.
1: Um, the way we express emotion is a little different. Um, it's in a way more pure because you focus on the structure harmonic structure the way the piece is crafted and mm. then you make sound in a way that really gets to the the, the purity of sound purity of intonation let's say and um, rather than um, um, on a subjective expression of mm. a certain note so um, it when we play any music, of course, we should be objective and subjective at the same time, but I think it's very important to be quite objective when you're playing a certain kind of music and really look at it from um, far away and see how it's crafted, how it's made, how it's composed, um, and how you have to follow the, 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 um, the guidelines that the piece, piece gives you. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, well, we'll keep this, sa- we'll play another excerpt from this right. and keep the sound in our ear, and then we'll later on hear you play uh, Clara Schumann. Uh, piano trio, and I think I think we'll hear a very different, you know, sound and color and approach on mm-hmm. the violin.
1: Mm-hmm. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And I mean, Schumann and, and uh, Clara Schumann is one of the most lyrical, um, overtly sometimes emotional, um, um, explorative uh, music out there. So you, you, I think one must sing in a different voice. Your 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 the the trembling of the voice must be different from yeah. the, uh, the Saint George to Schumann. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Let's hear a little bit more of. Uh, Yorali's recording of this Saint George's second violin concerto. The, the vibrato strikes me as, as as very very spare and a lot more maybe movement of the bow to, yeah. make, to make some of those sounds and effects.
1: I like to describe it as a human with um, by the use of a human voice. When you touch your neck when you're speaking, it's not a still, it's it's not a static object. But it's always vibrating, even when you're not overtly vibrating, like an opera singer would. Mm-hmm. So I like to think of a sound as a living object, and sometimes you you move more to, to help it help it go, or sometimes you just have to nudge it a little to help <laughs> it go. And you don't have to help so much in this case, what we just heard. Mm-hmm. You just need to let it let it sing by yeah. itself.
0: Yeah. Depends on the acoustic, you know, whether it's. Recorded how big the hall it is, yes, uh-huh. the other players, the instruments. They're so music is so full of variables. Yeah, you know, at,
1: at this at this time when this was written, it was most likely played in a in, in a castle or, or a palace, in a, a perhaps a room with many mirrors or or marble marble on walls. Or I mean, I'm trying to imagine a circumstance where the sound lives, it rings. Uh, it's it's a, almost a modern thing, This, this if a carpet and tapestry. Well, there were a lot of uh, some, some tapestry rooms back then, but the absorbment of sound is, um, in, in a way, um, perhaps a later phenomenon. So, um, of course, ideally, you don't want to play this in, in a, um, a recording studio full of, you know, dead sounds, and mm-hmm. you want to play in a, pla- uh, in a place where it's ringing naturally. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. And it, this was recorded where?
1: I can't remember very well. Uh, maybe I think this was recorded in a recording studio. Okay. Yeah, my 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 uh, memories yeah, failing no, me at the that's, moment.
0: That's fine. But, yeah. <laughs> oh, the, the, and the one question I wanted to follow up on because we kind of went into a different direction. Yeah. I don't. I hear this very much as, as classical era mm-hmm, style. Mm-hmm. There's not there's there's not so much of his his cultural heritage or or the fact that he was you know this just this this interesting figure that. That comes into the music so much, do, or what? What do you hear?
1: Um, I don't hear a certain uh, didactic uh, division of era. I hear um, a violinist who wanted to play and write his own yeah. music, as as Vivaldi did, as Corelli did, a, a virtuoso violinist who who wanted to write for himself. Perhaps mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, composers did that now, did do, do, uh, do that now, and did that back then. And yeah. I just hear a lot of this exploration of the instrument of violin
2: Mm -hmm. yeah Mm
0: You t- told me you've got uh, you've got a couple of big suitcases mm-hmm. packed and your life for the next year or so is, mm-hmm. is basically on the road.
1: Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. I have a really fun year ahead. Um, a very heavy suitcase um, <laughs> <laughs> which uh, uh, is, is, is hard to carry in a smaller suitcase with my music and concert clothes and I also, I play both violin and viola so I have a double case that's um, practically as big as me when I carry it on my back and <laughs> and, and uh, a lap of bag with my books and laptop and so on and that is my life for the next year or so Mm -hmm. I'm I'm traveling almost non-stop um going from place to place and um living uh, a life that I find really fun yeah (laughs) Yeah, I enjoy this very much some people do not like to travel I love to travel so I'm very lucky that my life allows me to do that
0: uh a lot of time in Europe you have this position you're um T- teaching at Dresden at the Hochschule there, um, what what draws you to that city and that and that school as a place to live and work and perform?
1: Well, first of all, Germany really is, um, in a way, a home of what we do. Uh, Bach, Brahms, Beethoven. We need not need we need not need to um, describe how important Germany is for classical music in so many ways. And um, I. I'm a professor of music at uh, o violin at the school, and I love working with people in uh, from a teacher's perspective as well as playing because um, you learn so much as a teacher. This is a little bit strange to say that you're learning from your student as a teacher, but each person has a different way of um, understanding the way of violin playing. And also, if you say one thing to 10 different people, Ten, there'll, there'll, there will be 10 slight variations of how people understand them. So in a way, it's like a ping pong game. You mm-hmm. you use, um, throw a ball to your student and then they throw back and then you throw in. It's, it's like a, it's not one way street teaching. It's you really learn both ways. And sometimes a, a students will have an idea that, that I've never thought of before. And then we both grow mm-hmm.
0: in a way, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so violin, you're, you're, you're teaching violin exclusively there. yes, yeah, yes.
2: Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not going to get ahead of myself because I, I want to unpack this question of, of, you know, how you've hung on to both instruments, you know, <laughs> and, and made, made it, um, you know, such a high level pursuit in both areas. But let's, let's switch to the viola now, uh-huh. just to hear you play some viola. And this is, uh, set, uh, the fairy tale pictures of, uh-huh. of, of Robert Schumann. Uh, mm-hmm. What, what draws you to, to Schumann's music?
1: Hmm the lack of stability in the best sense. Uh, as we talked about earlier, music really is an expression of who they are. And with music like Schumann, you can really hear what he was like, um, not only himself, but what he was like at the time that he wrote a certain piece. Um, as we know, he didn't have very stable um, mental um, state for a part of his life, at least, and, and more on uns- I, f- I think the more unstable you are it's because you need to work with a l- more um your glass is more f- full in a way and you need to first o- either learn to contain it or it'll overflow and I think his music a lot of it overflows but not in a negative sense it's just almost he couldn't contain perhaps Mm -hmm. or he wanted to feel uncomfortable Mm -hmm. he wanted to feel um he wanted to feel unease and as uh, he wanted the players to feel so and the listeners to feel so and 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 find passion in that regard perhaps
0: where's where's this going how's this gonna yeah the
1: uncertainty of things some people love uncertainty (laughs) some people don't i do not, but when I play <laughs> when I, play Shima, I like to know exactly where I'm going. Um, my phone GPS is my life when I'm driving. I don't like to wander <laughs> around. However, when I'm playing a music like Shimon, of course I know that I have to play from this phrase to that phrase, but it has a feeling of uncertainty. So in order to create magic, I think you need to know, actually, the, the very basics of what you're going to do and then put magic on top of it. You can't create magic from a whiff of air. You need to be concrete and then let spontaneous things happen. Mm-hmm. And I think Schumann allows us to do that. I love yeah. the
0: phrase crafted, spontaneity. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think that's Oxy, what we- oxymor, but it, it, yes, it, it makes exactly. sense in some
1: ways, exactly. doesn't it? Yeah.
0: Let's hear Euro uh, mm-hmm. playing the viola here in this Schumann work for viola, piano, and uh, clarinet. The colors there its yeah. a, such a such a great combination yeah yeah um, beautiful playing that's Yura Lee playing a uh, viola at uh, one of the music at Menlo sessions from recent seasons, and you're a you're quite a frequent player down there that's mm-hmm. a it's a uh, yes. uh, mm-hmm. uh, kind of a home festival for you in in some ways yeah
1: a um, lot of um old colleagues yes
0: yes uh how unusual is it for a musician to move so fluidly between violin and viola? And you know, to it seems like you you consciously decide I'm going to do this many violin dates or viola dates. I don't know if you count them up, but uh, but it, it it seems like they're pretty evenly divided.
1: Yeah, I mean, in an orchestra, um, clarinet player w- may or may not play bass clarinet and oboe with English horn and so on. Violin and viola is slightly more unusual because first. Um, in, it, it, of course, visually, it's a very similar looking instrument, one slightly bigger than the other, but you need completely different personality to play them, and, and, and you, do, you, you, you um, play a different role when you're playing chamber music between the two instruments. And also, you have to use a different technique. It's not just a little bit further away from you. Your hand. It's mm-hmm. it's it's a different way of using muscle. It's a different way of hearing pitch. The different, there are different strings. The top of the violin string is an E string. Whether a viola is a A string. So, and you have to read a different clef. There are so many different right. variables that you have to work with. But of course, if you think about everything while you're doing it, it's impossible. It's something um that you um learn absorb and then forget
0: what what happens when you go from so we'll play a Clara Schumann piano trio as a violinist in, in in a moment to playing the Robert Schumann piece that we just heard i mean what what goes on with you in terms of wh- how do you bring that what's the different personality you bring to one than than the other
1: hmm it depends on the music that i'm playing but very Generally speaking, let's let's imagine an opera and there's a soprano who shoo's everyone away and goes to the front of the stage and has to sing a beautiful aria for next ten minutes. Um, that would be. I mean, of course, I'm I'm not doing it justice by describing as that as a violinist, but you understand what mm-hmm. I'm saying, yes? And then a uh, viola player would be the character that that I don't know that that stays in the middle of the stage and 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 you know she's there but when she's not there there's this big empty gap (laughs) so in a way I'm being a little unfair to violinists here including myself but viola is such a necessity in terms of chamber music it 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 feels the voice it feels the sound it feels Mm -hmm. it, it um it's the 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 bridge between the melody and the bass it's 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 You can't live without it. So in a way, when something goes wrong, you notice it. When something doesn't go wrong, you don't always notice it, let's say. Hmm. But it's a, a very essential. Mm-hmm. And you get to... Um, le- it's like leading somebody from by pulling their hair or by pushing them gently from behind. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I like to do both. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Was... Was there a point? Did, did you start out on violin?
1: I did. When I was four mm-hmm. years old, I started out on violin. Um, of course, not professionally back then, but that was a hobby back mm-hmm. then, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and how did the viola come into the picture?
1: Well, viola came to the picture because, um, well, this is a, 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 a sound clip and, and you can't see me, but I'm not a very tall person and I have very small hands. And I've always wanted to play the cello or piano or both. And um, I wanted to play the cello repertoire, and I couldn't on the violin because the pitch of the strings are different. Mm. So I picked up the viola on my own to play Bach Suites on, 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 and and just, uh, I was jealous. I wanted to play their music. It's so beautiful, (laughs) so why couldn't I play them? I wanted to make myself play them. And then I realized what a beautiful instrument it is, and in a way, how much harder it is than violin. And I like a challenge. The harder it is, I want to do more of it. So I started doing both. And my very first public performance on a viola was in 2006, I believe, at a a festival called Marlboro Music Festival in Vermont. Um, I played um, the Kodai Serenade for two violins and a viola there. And I remember it being such a wonderful thing to do. But my first violin performance was way before then, so there there's that long period of gap. Yeah, yeah. that's.
0: I mean, that's interesting to me. So you're you are a very established violinist uh, before the viola came along.
1: In a way, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I I've been playing for a long time, really professionally since um, oh dear, since ninety four. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's, been, it's it's I've played for a long
0: time. Yeah, but so, so what is the, what does the viola open up to you in terms of um? You know, when you come and and sit in this week, I assume you're, you're playing viola in the Brahms sextet. Um,
1: you mean the souvenir, the Florence, or oh, the Brahms quintet? Quintet. Yes, me. Quintet, yes. Quintet, I'm playing and viola, then you're yeah. also mm-hmm. in
0: the sextet. Yeah, yes, in both of uh-huh. those. Um, so you, you come with a different perspective, as you say, a, a different a different shows up when you when you. <laughs> in
1: a way, there. yeah. You know, you can uh, s- look at the score and learn somebody else's part you get a completely view when you're actually playing them. It's it's one thing to know, and another thing to actually experience it. And I get to experience from the violinist's point of view and from viola's point of view, if I play a piece, both parts, I have played both parts in a piece. And in a way that, um, if, for example, I'll give you uh, in the rehearsal one, a violinist might want to do this phrase that way, and then the cellist doesn't agree. I tend to take the side of a cellist because when I play viola, I understand why they need to do so because I'm closer to their voice. So, in a way, um, I suppose violists are quite diplomatic, or I'd like to think that I am—not <laughs> um, diplomatic in a sense that everybody needs to be happy, but it's just a matter of understanding why the other person wants something that they want.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I, I, it's probably like the middle <laughs> child or the the middle instrument. Yeah. A, lot, a lot of you know violists were talking about being in the middle of the orchestra. I think Vorsac, uh, you know, took that love the to play the viola, because yeah. you're you're right there in the the center of things in mm-hmm. that um, and i I love the Vorsak story and personality, and mm-hmm. it seems like he would. He would be a violist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> making things happen when the violas come. Into, yeah, into the he room. loved
1: the viola, and he wrote beautifully for it too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's a Dvorak uh, E flat string quintet, which I love, and it starts with the second viola, no less. Not even the first viola. I give I love when composers give love to every single part. <laughs> it's, it's a wonderful
0: thing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, let's see. I think we've come to the to the Clara Schumanns. We're we're back. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're back on the violin here. Um, for just a moment until we listen to some of that Brahms that, sh- that we've been talking about. Here's Yurli, again, from uh, Music at Menlo and uh, a uh, movement from a Clara Schumann sonata, uh, trio. <laughs> Clara Schumann's piano trio in G minor, played by our guest Yura Lee, uh, Seattle Chamber Music Society artist, making her debut at the festival, uh, summer festival this year. And uh, as with the case of Saint-Georges, is is Clara Schumann's music especially attractive to you in the sense of, uh, here's this voice that we probably don't hear nearly as much as, as we should. Is there a special joy in kind of bringing her out into the world?
1: Yeah. Um, I should mention that whenever we're playing a piece, I feel that the piece that we're playing at the moment has to be your favorite piece of music. You need to give it your 100% um, emotionally, um, um, concentration, uh, physically, everything. But there are some pieces that touch you closer than others. There there are some, there are some pieces that are actually your favorite pieces. Um, Clara Schumann is interesting because you, d- d- re- you don't get to hear it as much as Robert Schumann. And she was um, an, an amazing uh, composer and, and pianist in her own right. And, and it goes through phases, doesn't it? The things that you hear more often than others. Uh, and even in our lifetime, some pieces are played mm-hmm. more than others. Um, uh, she had a lot to deal with in her life. Not only her music and creativity, but her husband's as well. And um, sometimes we just need to take a little extra care to bring those people to life as well.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And you, and you've enjoyed the the process of of uh, discovering her.
1: Yeah, which I I, and I haven't played uh, before this 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 yeah. performance. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. She. <laughs> we're talking about the the role that the violist plays, and she's such an extraordinary. Um, well, obviously. Uh, with dealing with the household they they had something like eight children the the, the, the Schumann's did she had a concert career and then her this husband who was not in in good health and then has all this time to advise people you know Brahms or or look at this score it's just you know it's it's what an extraordinary she
1: is the ultimate quote-unquote modern woman isn't she (laughs) she did it all and with with grace and with with love yeah
0: Was there um, a particular violist or um, or colleague that you t- you talked about playing the Kodai uh, at uh, at Marlborough mm-hmm. um, that said, "Wow, you know, pursue this, follow this. Don't don't uh, let the violin overshadow the viola," or, or was that just was that kind of an internal um, drive for you?
1: Um. It wasn't, int- for me, uh, music is always an internal drive, mm-hmm. but it's always a great affirmation when the people in your same fields enjoy what you do as much as you did yourself or close to it. Yeah. And I, I, there are amazing violists in, this, uh, in the world now, and, and, um, and they've always, um, they've been very supportive. And viola community is a very sweet community. Um, we, uh, we're very friendly in a way, uh, we help each other. And, and 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 encourage each other and it's it's really sweet and and um, it's a nice community to be in
2: mm-hmm.
1: you can't say that about every community but viola community really is um, like you said about the middle child every, everybody wants everyone to be happy and <laughs> successful and, and and enjoy it's mm-hmm. it's really nice well
0: it almost sounds like a move to a to a different culture like you know like there's every every culture has its you know, joys and sorrows, I suppose. Yeah, but, but to yeah. be able to kind of move from the world of the, the violin and the mindset of the violin to the viola seems like a very, um, you know, refreshing or energizing <laughs> thing. Because yeah. I mean, I'm struck with uh, that, uh, again, you're so established as a as a violinist to have this opportunity happen. That seems like maybe it was an epiphany or something or just or maybe
1: it's more like us 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 instead of me me me
0: yeah (laughs) again we don't want to be disparaging (laughs) violence yeah everybody's different no no everybody's (laughs) different
1: but it's just the nature of the instrument it's 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 the nature of of needing to be um um to to feel the sound or to need to be on the top of the sound and to shine it's really, I, I think I become a different person when, mm-hmm. I, when I play a, a, a violin piece mm-hmm. I, because I need to be, the music requires it. So at the end, the, end the, the, the purpose is not us or you or me or whoever, it's the music. And we need to become who the music needs us to be. Mm-hmm. And viola needs us to be a different person and in that way,
0: yeah. yeah. Let's hear some Brahms, because you're gonna be playing a lot of Brahms this <laughs> week, the <laughs> horn trio and the quintet mm-hmm. in G major. This is the G major sextet by Brahms and another Music at Menlo recording in which Yura uh, Lee is playing viola. <laughs> When you hear an excerpt like this, uh, what 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 comes to mind? You know, something about the people you were playing with, the the, the circumstance of the performance, the composer. What what stri- just what strikes you? Just well, at the me? moment,
1: very truthfully, I don't hear myself playing very often
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> when I'm not, I hear myself playing when I'm playing yes. something, but I don't go back and listen to myself very often. It would be like listening to your own voice recording, wouldn't it? <laughs> it is, yeah. um, so uh, I'm um, discovering this as well as, uh, uh, at the same time as you are. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, why did I do this that way a little bit as well? When you, when you look back, um, hindsight is always twenty, 20 isn't
0: mm-hmm. it? <laughs> well, and also tomorrow when you listen to it, um, you'll go oh that's 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 pretty fine that's don't do you find <laughs> that i mean when you listen to recordings of of yourself playing you know sometimes one one is more forgiving than other or or i, I won't say it's forgiving but um it's it's you, you can be in a little bit of a less critical place and hear the whole huh. yeah i, I mean I, that's that's my problem hearing recordings that i i'm involved in it's just sometimes you you need to get away from it and forget about all the things that you were worrying uh-huh. about. As you,
1: I think I, I'm very good at. Um, um, I love
0: um, I love this excerpt, by the way, oh, just for you know, you. For my, <laughs> my two cents. It's for... a it's a
1: great place in the piece, especially. Um, I, I do very good compartmentalized listening, let's put it that way. Um, when I'm in the airport and there's a music and I do not want to hear the music, I tune it out. It's almost like my intuition goes, that's bad music, let's tune it out. Um, when I play, when, like, when I listen um, uh, to what we just heard now, um, I sometimes hear the composer, the, the music itself, the notes itself, the music, uh, the, what the composers wrote. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'm hearing uh, what I'm actually doing technically, right or wrong, or I, I, I've I enjoyed doing that just just focus on what you want to focus on mm-hmm. and enjoying that or mm-hmm. criticizing that only
0: mm-hmm. yeah and sometimes uh, when we're involved in a project to, you know to the level that you are we we um, it's kind of a curse that we, we know so much. It's it's hard for us to listen yeah. <laughs> as civilians. For example, when
1: there's a Mozart symphony ringtone, and you know, it, let's say the, the the symphony's in four, and the ringtone's in three, and you're counting the beats by just just not even thinking, and then you're missing a beat. Wow, that makes me angry <laughs> more than it should. Yeah, yeah, it's a curse in a way. <laughs> yeah,
0: absolutely. We have a friend with a cockatiel, and the cockatiel has learned the... The Overture to the Barber of Seville with one extra da-da-da-da-da. And <laughs> that drives our musician friend who owns oh, this bird dear. crazy. Do not do, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> not good. <laughs> I want to, um, we have a mutual friend, uh, by my colleague um, and friend from the Seattle Youth Symphony Days, um, Marianne LaCrosse, who works at music at Menlo, and I had not had a chance to, to get to know your recordings. And I, I went to, to Marianne for intelligence, a little background <laughs> about Yura Lee. And uh, she said, and you can confirm this, that you are a foodie, that you are into things, culinary, and uh, that's, that's yeah. a passion of yours. It
1: really is a passion. I mean, when you think about it, we eat three times a day. So it, it's, it's a, it's a re- repeat, re- uh, repeated activity. But therefore, how fun can you make it, especially if you're traveling, no? Yes, that's my that's my um, justification rather Mm -hmm. Um, as a musician. You're using your senses, touch, um, 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 eyes, um, uh, just a general feel of things. And with food, you get to enjoy taste, also touch. Uh, It just it's just enjoying what life has to offer uh, for me. Mm -hmm. And because I'm on the road um, so much, I get to know about people through music. And food. Those are the two things I get to know um, a culture or a person wow. or a place. And, and and what better way to get to know it than
0: So to, uh, so how do you how do you do that? Is that through through restaurants, through chefs, through things that you're making? How, how do you um, engage? Through,
1: if, if, for example, Seattle would be the produce, the markets, mm-hmm. restaurants. I um, I think um, my generation is very savvy about searching on internet what's great and what's not. So uh, I'm, I'm searching constantly what's great, what's what's uh, of the area here. And, and I also do um, <laughs> Instagram, embarrassingly <laughs> and happily, <laughs> where I post a lot of uh, food highlights. And, and for me, that gives me a lot that's really relaxing for me yeah. and I love to cook but since I'm not carrying around my trusty pots and pans with me how, how great would that be if we could uh, carry uh, another suitcase full of kitchen essentials but we can't <laughs> so um, I, I then sometimes uh, rent a home to cook in or next oh. week I'm going to Portland Oregon which is uh, one of my favorite cities and I'll have a place with a kitchen so I'm going to go completely nuts wow.
0: <laughs> what, what and what's um, kind of top of mind for you these days the things that you're working with ingredients you're working with or, or, or recipes or what?
1: well it's summer so it's all about fresh vegetables and and, and fruits and and I uh, I don't have any dietary restrictions so I work with all kinds of indulgences let's say <laughs> I don't need to take butter out of my diet or or, or, or anything that I like out of my diet but um, especially in west coast where um, the nature and sun and the, the soil gives us such such um, good things um, I mm-hmm. think that's what I when I'm in uh, Boston or for example um, um, or some somewhere cold in the winter time um, it's it's a completely different um, palette that you have to work with or, or, or produce so I'm very happy to be in West Coast right now yeah. in July it's yeah, wonderful. So,
0: so my intelligence source says that, that that you you really love the city of Portland that, that's uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's got its own TV show these days. <laughs> yes,
1: which is uh, I find not an exaggeration. It's almost um, the the city is more of an exaggeration of the show, um, <laughs> if if that you can believe it. Yeah, I just love the uh, kind of thinking and culture that fosters weirdness, <laughs> and I mean that in the best possible sense. Everybody's different, so why not? Let's all be happily different, and let's all love each other for it and, and, and um, the, the conscientiousness that people bring to activity, to everything. I remember this food truck, which I love, um, and there was a, just a pot of plant or, or flower or something like this, but it was placed in the most beautiful spot, uh, in the most beautiful way. Like, they don't... I love how when people do things with purpose, with beauty, and with good intentions. Mm-hmm. And I, that's why I love um, that city. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, we're glad you're up in Seattle, thank and we're you glad know. you get to rent a kitchen and, and have some fun <laughs> down in Portland. Uh Lee, thank you so much for um, the music making that you, we've heard, enjoyed here today and for the conversation. I really enjoyed thank it. Thank you. So I enjoyed it. Let's, let's give her a hand here. Yeah. <laughs> so that wraps up our latest classical conversation gathering and podcast. Find our series of podcasts online at seattlechamber.org, and we'll put a couple of these conversations this summer up at king.org as well. The uh, summer concerts by the Seattle Chamber Music Society continue through August 1st, right here in the uh, Benaroya Hall. We're in Soundbridge for the podcast, but the concerts are up in the Nordstrom Recital Hall. Our next podcast session will be on Wednesday, July 22nd at noon here in Soundbridge, so Be part of the studio audience for that one if you can. James Ennis is the Artistic Director for the Seattle Chamber Music Society. Connie Cooper, the Executive Director. Our engineer for these podcasts is Bill Levy. The programs are produced by me and Seattle Chamber Music Society Director of Education Programs and Operations Jeremy Jolly. Remember, all of the concerts this summer are broadcast live at listener-supported classical King FM in Seattle. I'm Dave Beck. Thank you all very much.